This episode of In the Crease is sponsored by Scorebreak. What is Scorebreak? Scorebreak is the latest in sports video technology that allows you to view your practice or game film in real time. It is a communication and collaboration software built into a film analysis platform. Here's the kicker. Scorebreak syncs live stats with your video instantly, live, on the sideline or immediately after the game. And because Scorebreak uses cloud technology, the video can be reviewed and curated instantly, anywhere, anytime. Scorebreak gives coaches at any level access to powerful analysis tools that only high-level programs have had the resources for in the past. They've removed the limitations to coaching workflows. Scorebreak is rooted in lacrosse and is the recent provider of choice at all levels. The overall mission is to save coaches valuable time and improve their efficiency. So if you schedule a demo with Scorebreak and mention in the crease, Scorebreak will give you 10% off your first year. So visit Scorebreak today at www.scorebreak.io. Welcome, welcome, welcome to another episode of In the Crease with Danny and Kevin, a coast-to-coast discussion of D2 Men's Lacrosse. I'm your co-host, Kevin Stenstrom, and with me, as always, is duo guru numero uno, Danny Moran. Hey, Danny. (laughs) Kevin, that was a good one. Where'd you come up with that one? So remember, remember, uh, Clay James, one of our listeners, called us the duo gurus, and I just figured you're numero uno and I'm numero dos. That's how I went with it. Clay James, he's a clever man. He's a clever man. Kevin Stenstrom, what a week. How you doing, my friend, back in Northern Virginia, huh? I'm back in Northern Virginia. Kind of was on the road a little bit during some of these championship games. I'll tell you, it's going to be even tougher when we get the NCAA tournament because most of them are at the same time. But I digress. We, we I need to, we'll go into the week in review. But before we do that, I know we usually do the top 10 roundup, but we want to, you want to do a little twist on that this week. Yeah, Kev, you know what? We do the top 10 roundup every week and we leave some teams out sometimes. We don't talk about them. But you know what? It's the final week of the season. Um, you know, our regionals and our NCAA tournaments are set. Our championships have been won. So I think it's only fitting that we name the final top 20. What do you think? That sounds great. Now, are you you're using the USILA poll? Yes, I am. There we go. Just to make sure, because there are three that are out there, but we usually, okay. and that's what everyone should know that typically the ones we go with is just USILA. Yeah. Just USILA. No, we don't go with the Nike. We don't go with anything else. Just the right. USILA. So number one, Lemoyne finished their season 16 and 0. Number two, Rollins finished their season at 15 and one Kev. Number three, UND at 11 and two. Number four, Adelphi. 15 and two. Number five, Lenore Rhine, 14 and two. Number six, Wingate Bulldogs, 12 and two. Number seven, Mercyhurst, 12 and two. And number eight, Mercy Mavs, 12 and three. Nine, Limestone. I forget that. I, I didn't write down their schedule, uh, their record. record. I don't know why. I don't know why. Okay, they're not. They're, they're close. They're a lot of wins and a few losses. <laughs> right. <laughs> Number 10, Bentley at nine and four. 
10. Number 11, Tampa. Unbelievable at 11, right? 13 and 3. Number 12, St. A's, 9 and 3. Number 13, Colorado Mesa. We'll be talking about them a lot tonight, I think. Right. Kev. 14 and 2. Number 14, Florida Southern finished their season at 13 and 5, Kev. Number 15, Seton Hill finished their season 11 and 4. Number 16, Pace, the Setters finished their season at 11 and 4. Number 17, the Newberry Wolves finished their season at 11 and 5. Number 18, Frostburg State, Kev, finished their season 12 and 4. Number 19, Anderson, the Trojans, finished 12 and 6. And number 20, Peach Belt Champs, Lander. How about those guys sliding yeah. into the top 20, uh, finished their season at 12 and 4, Kev. So that's your top 20 final, final week. Of the 2023 season. I unbelievable, can't believe right? It's unbelievable. I can't believe we're already here. Congratulations to all the teams. They had great seasons. And there are other teams that didn't make it that had really good seasons as well. And and we'll... It's uh, a really good season. Really good year in Division Two. A lot of really good things happened. Great games. A lot of great good things games. happened. So to close out the regular season before we get into the NCAA tournament, we've got a, in our week in review, we've got a few conference tournaments that were still happening this past week to go over. So let's, let's get to that right now. Let's start off with the RMAC because that one was, that happened last Friday night. Uh, so to get there in the semifinals, uh, Colorado Mesa beat Adam state 23 to two and Westminster beat CSU Pueblo 18 to six, both, kind of how we thought they would be. So that meant the final was, once again, Colorado Mesa against Westminster. Colorado Mesa pulls it out, and I mean pulls it out 21 to 16. To me, that seems like, oh, it's kind of a runaway, but Westminster always was was fighting back. Colorado Mesa came out quickly and really established dominance going up 7-3 after one. So you're thinking that, there's Colorado yeah. Mesa, exactly what you thought. But Westminster fought back, and it was 10-8 at half, Danny. And I'll tell you, the, one of the big differences was Westminster's goalie, Jake Miller. He kept them in the game. So much so that the third quarter was a dead heat, each team scoring five goals. But in the fourth, Colorado Mesa just takes over and wears down the Griffins. I, I just think they had too much firepower. You got the Brummett brothers, you got Stanky, you've got Holcomb, you got Switzer. I mean, you just yeah. got bunches of guys coming after you, and they outscored them six to three in the fourth to go up and win twenty one sixteen. Yeah, we, we kind of picked Colorado Mesa, didn't we? We did. We did. So just some key stats. Jed Brummett, five goals. James Stanky, four goals. Another really ben, good player. Yeah. And yeah, and then you look at some of the, the team stats. Colorado Mesa outshot Westminster 64 to 30, and the shots on goal were 38 to 19. And there's really the difference, oh, right? When you're shooting oh, that boy. much. Now, I mean, Colorado. I mean, Colorado, West, Westminster, was, Westminster was playing defense all night. Yeah, a, a lot of it. There were 14 penalties in this game, Danny. Oh, see, that stinks. I hate to hear that, man. It's a championship game. Let the boys play a little bit. Right, right. They these the I wouldn't say it was a chippy game, 
but it was it was physical and aggressive. These teams were going after it. Supposed to be. Yeah. Uh, ground balls. Colorado Mesa also won out 44 to 34 over Westminster. But once again, Jacob Miller, Westminster's goalie, 38 shots coming his way. He made 17 saves. He had a good game. Yeah. Congratulations to Colorado Mesa. You know, another good season. A lot of miles under the, those guys' belts. A yeah. lot of traveling for them. And they're your Armac champs. Yeah. And they, they deserve it. They, they were the, Really, the shining light in that that conference. Westminster's right behind them, but their team's a lot younger. And right, you saw this. You see the size of Colorado Mesa. They're going to be back next year, just as strong. So, let's move on. Do you want to talk any ten? Sure. Okay. So, just quickly, Bentley and Adelphi. This is the semifinal. Bentley beats Adelphi seven four. They did it again and outscored the Panthers. Then Lemoyne beat St. A's 8-4. Both defensive struggles, both those games. So then it brought to the, the final LeMoyne against Bentley. And LeMoyne yeah. wins 12-8. Yeah, yeah. It was 3-1 after one, Bentley. Yeah. Bentley yeah. came out. There was a few turnovers. Bentley scored three unanswered to, to really yeah. go up. And I thought when I was watching that, I thought, Wow. Yeah, here we go again, right? Like, here we go. Yeah, but you know what? Did LeMoyne panic? No. And I'll tell you the other thing. If you look at the first quarter and the fourth quarter, Bentley played, to me, seemed to play with more urgency. They had to in the fourth quarter because they were down 12-5. Okay? And I think with the discipline and the methodical play that LeMoyne does, they just lull you, and if they get you on a six-on-six six all the time, they're going to win every time. Pretty much. I, you know? I think if you're a team to beat LeMoyne, you have to think, you have to play like you're four goals down to begin with and you have know, that sense of funny. urgency. No, you know, it's funny that you say that. I was thinking, you know, I've watched LeMoyne mm, probably seven, eight times this year. Saw them live once. Uh, watched this Bentley game, and I said, you know what? You know how you beat LeMoyne? Got to be fast. Fast, 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 fast. Move the ball, move the ball, move the ball, move the ball, move the ball. Because if you settle for one second, they're going to chew you up defensively. Yeah. You know what? They, You know, Bentley went out to that 3-1 after the first quarter. Like you said, there was some uncharacteristically turnovers made by LeMoyne in that, you know, in that first quarter. And but you know what? It, they don't panic. No, they don't. No. And and, and Bentley did a good job with those. I mean, that's when you saw them really coming out. Some of those goals were coming kind of like transition, fast-paced goals. They didn't let Lemoyne get set. I felt that Bentley's defense played pretty good. They did. They did. I really did. I felt that that you know the Falcons really dug in there. They played really good defense. But you know what? Kim Pesamente, man. He had himself a game. Six goals. Dude, Six he was goals and an assist. He was unstoppable. He just played like played like a man amongst boys that day. He really did. He did. He took the game over. He took it over. He, he really did. And then you get Vavanese, their goalie. He had great three game. saves in about three seconds. Great game. He had a great keep game. keep it at 12-8. I mean, that's how good he played. I mean, because Bentley came 
came needed to storm back and they did a good job. It was 12-5 after three, and they came back and made it 12-8. And then Vavanese basically shut the door three times where you'd think if they get a 12-9, there's a chance. You know, they they brought it to back to 12-8. Vavanese made those three saves in the 30 seconds, man. That was that was really, really good. He he was phenomenal. I, I yeah, you yeah. know what? Just Lemoyne is a really, really well-coached team, Kev. They don't make mistakes, and they're going to take your best and weather weather your best. They're going to weather it out. They're yep. that good. Yep. They're and that good. When you look at it, Vavanese had 16 saves, but add this in here, and there's another game that will follow this, this template. Face-offs. Lemoyne had 17, Bentley 6. Huge. So you put those two together, those special teams with face-off and, and goalie play, you're not going to meet beat many teams that are are playing that way, and still only lost by four to the top team in the you know in right. the nation, right? You know they they gave them a game. They gave they them did. a game. They did. They, they played know, like really you said, well. The, the they deserve. Quarter. They deserve to be in the NCAA tournament, hands down. 100%. Bentley does. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. They've had a killer schedule, and they play well. Yeah. Okay. Let's move on to the ECC. So in the semis, Mercy beat Malloy 19-9, and Frostburg State beat Roberts Wesleyan 21-13. So pretty convincing wins on both those cases. So now Mercy faces Frostburg, and they win 15-9. And I'll tell you, Danny, Frostburg started this just the way they needed to and wanted to. They had timely saves. They had some quick transitional look to go up 3-0 with, you know, still a lot of time left in the first. But the question I, and I wrote this down, can they keep that up? And they they couldn't. Mercy was going to come back. Another team that's not going to panic that early in the game. And it's 3-3 after one. Right. It was and a then, fast-paced first quarter, man. Oh, it was crazy. Those guys were, those guys were flying both sides up yeah. and down the field. I was like, oh, man, they can't keep this pace up. And it was three three after one, like. But you know, Frostburg jumped out to that three nothing lead real quick, yeah. and you know, and I and was then the Mercy. same thing. Just like it's like Bentley, I'm like, whoa, it yeah. was it was cool to see. And then once again, Mercy hurt. And here's what's funny, and it was um, almost like mirror images. In the first half, I saw Frostburg's D not letting Mercy get a lot of looks inside, and there was a lot of perimeter shooting. And then if you look at the second half, that's the only looks Frostburg had was perimeter yeah. shots. Yeah, they had trouble getting inside. You're right. And you know what? I felt that P.J. Aguiros, the face-off. Oh, I've got that he note, too. was phenomenal. He was phenomenal. Because they've been they've been uh, spreading the love there with Kuner yeah. and Aguiros. And Kuner, you know, the last few games has really played a little bit more than P.J. Aguiros. But uh, Aguiros, just, he was on fire. On he had fire against Bentley. 18 face-off wins. He was on game. fire. And and Tommy Amano. So can, you know, the, those two add those. Yeah. It's the same, same combination. And we're going to see that with Mercyhurst as well in their game. But what's interesting is it was eight four and a half Mercy. I think Frostburg State had a lot of opportunities, but they couldn't put the shots away. And it's it's like eleven, it's ten six. After three, it's still within four goals or right before the third ended. And they'll, it, 
Mercy punctuated the end of that quarter with a goal with one second left after a broken play yeah. and a great save by Meckley. And t- take about talk about we've talked about this before with other games. Almost takes the the wind out of your sails when that happens. Yeah, yeah. Meckley makes a Meckley great save. Had a good game. He did. I thought I thought Meckley played pretty well, man. You're playing Mercy. You know, there's a lot of firepower in Mercy. You know, you got Hyder and Calabria and Kiernan and Gibbons and Zosnowski. Yeah. It just, you know, it just keeps coming and coming. I mean, but, you know, those, Meckley, those, Meckley, Meckley those, was solid, I thought. He was. All those four players just mentioned all had hat tricks. And and Kiernan and Gibbons both had three goals and three assists. I mean, they spread it around, and they are tough to beat. You've really it, – it, it's just tough. That much firepower. Another great game. Another great game. Mercy just had more that day. Yeah. Yeah, Mercy, Mercy's a good team, man. You know that. They're yeah. good. Yeah. They're good. All right. Now the GMAC. Seton Hill played Walsh in the semis and beat him 19-6. And Mercyhurst took on Lake Erie. And they won convincingly 22-8. to So now we've got the matchup again. Seton Hill versus Mercyhurst. And I just want to point this out, Danny, that I was correct, that Mercyhurst was not going to let Seton Hill beat him again. <laughs> you are. I you lucked correct. out on that yeah, one. Absolutely. They, they, it was a good they, game, though. It was, oh, a, good it was game. a great game. Mercyhurst wins 11-9. Yeah. And once again, they come out and score the first three goals, and they were fired up. Did you see that that their sideline when they sure went did. up by three? Yeah, they were pumped. And and then they, Sean Dorn, they helped. He helped them out. I mean, I'm telling you right now, I think the difference was Dorn and Olney in that. hundred percent, hundred percent. My two circled names, Sean Duran and Olney, they were phenomenal. Both of them. When you can do make it, take it like that and just continue to just have the ball and then only making saves against Seton Hill players with the yeah. firepower they have, yeah, all the difference in the world. It was 5-3 at half, though, so Seton Hill comes back and they're scratching back in, but the Lakers store, score two quick ones uh, five minutes into the third. Seton Hill answers at 7-5. But then Lakers open it up a little bit. They make it 10 to 5 uh, after, after three. three. Yeah. And guess what? That was the mirror image of the regular season game because Seton Hill was up at that point, too. Wow. It's interesting. <laughs> yeah. So, and so, and Seton Hill doesn't give up. They try to come back. They score the first two and the fourth to make it 10 7, but th- that gap yep. was just enough that, uh, you know, that. It's a two-goal game with one forty, a two forty-one left, eleven nine, and and that's where it stays. And like we said, I, I Sean Dor- Duran, eighteen face-off wins, Brent only nineteen saves. You know, when Seton Hill scored at the five twenty-two mark at the fourth quarter, brought it within eleven eight. I was like, okay, yeah, Se- Seton Hill's coming back, man. They're they're starting to play well. Sean Duran just getting another possession after possession after possession. Yeah. And then, you know what, once that happens in the final quarter, once you get like, you know, you're below five, four minutes, you can start to slow the offense down a little bit. And I just think the Lakers just were a better team than Seton Hill that day. Yes. But though I love, I circle that on my calendar. Every time you see Seton Hill Mercyhurst. Yeah. You got to watch that game. 
they're really good games. But you know what, Kevin? I got to honestly say, I never felt that the Lakers were going to lose that game. I, didn't I just either. felt that they were in control, that they got possessions when they needed to. They made big stops when they needed to. You know, they just, they, I, it was just I, I think day. you go back to, to Sean and Brett only, and you're, and you're just like, they've got this. And there were, you know, when Seton Hill made it 10 7 in the fourth, you start to think, oh, can they, can they come back? Can they do this? And just like the game that Seton Hill won, these teams are strong enough. And when they get that two, three goal, four goal lead, you may be able to, you know, just kind of nick at it a little bit, but you can't close it. Can't close. You know, I, I, I felt that Seton Hill played good. I played, I think they played tough. They had good looks. Yeah. You know, they were getting good looks. They were getting good shots off. They're, they're, they're a good team. They're well coached. They have athletes there. Um, I just think that slow start in the beginning for them might've been what hurt them in the end. Plus only plus Duran. So yeah, that yeah. like a, you know, that slow start plus against those two guys, it was going to make a long day. So congratulations to the Lakers. Good job, fellas. Yeah. Without a doubt. Good game. Okay. Let's go to GLVC. The semifinals were interesting because Lewis pulls off the win against you. Indy 12, 11. That was a back and forth battle. It was tied 10, 10. And then Lewis scores one goal and then gets a second on an open net. So that's why, but it was, it, it was, to be honest, I, I was surprised. I thought you and he was going to have that game. So hats off to Lewis to do that and get into the finals. Yeah. I think it blew the whole country apart, man. That, that, I don't <laughs> think anybody in the country expected Lewis to beat you in yeah. Nope. Yeah. I was wondering, did you and have a couple of injuries, you know? Well, Lewis played Uindy tough in the regular season. It was like, if it wasn't overtime, it was like a one goal game. So, you know, if you look back, they played him tough. So good matchups. They could do it. Right. So, and then the second semifinal was Rockhurst against Maryville. I thought Maryville would pull this out, but Rockhurst was really strong. It was an evenly matched uh, game, but they ended up winning 14 to nine, which then brought the final to Rockhurst against Lewis. Either team that thought? gets this, who would have thought, would win be the first ever either team first ever GLVC crown for either one of these teams. So that's what's right. really cool about this, right? Yeah, that's what I absolutely. love about this one. Yep, yep, yep. Rockhurst wins out nine eight. <laughs> I can't explain it, man. It's crazy. Yeah, it, it was, and Rockhurst beat uh, Lewis. 13-8 in the regular season, and this was a total back-and-forth game. If you look at that, there were six ties and four lead changes, but wow. it was it was so close. It was tied 2-2 after one. Rockhurst goes on a bit of a run to make it 4-3 at the half. Lewis, though, it's Lewis's turn in the, in the second half. They go on a run and outscore the Hawks 4-2 in the third to take a 7-6 lead. Then Rockhurst in the fourth, they go on a rally and they go up two with 458 left. And you're like, geez, you know, can Lewis come back? Lewis closes to within one again with two minutes left. And those last two minutes are pretty exciting because it went back and forth and Rockhurst just held them off. It was a champion, championship blacks, championship blacks, man. But I, I didn't expect either team to be there. For some reason, I don't know why. Yeah, that's right. I I thought it'd be you, Indian Maryville. I think you and I agreed on that. That's, 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, so hey, hats off to Rockers. Congratulations, yeah. guys. You know, first and- ever crown for them. That's just awesome. First ever championship. Tyler Smith of Rockhurst had three goals. Some other key stats. Uh Rockhurst had 47 shots to Lewis's 34. So if Lewis could have gotten a few more shots, I could have pulled it up. And then here's what's an interesting one in extra man. Rockhurst went one for four, which, okay, that's not, but Lewis went 0 for two. And if they could have just buried Mm -hmm. one, that's a tie game. Yeah. It's, it's, that's how close it was. You know, just, just a goal difference. It was a, it was a good game. It was a good game. Hats off to both teams, but certainly congrats to Rockhurst on getting that win and yeah. getting the championship. Getting the good boys are getting rings. Boys are getting rings over there. Rockers kept. Now, not to say that these, the, all the championships weren't intense, but these next two, the last two we're going to talk about, in my opinion, were crazy. And let's start with the peach belt. <laughs> that was a good game. Lander and Flagler. This Danny was a game of different quarters. And I think this was a very intense game. These two teams laid it out there. Lander takes control in the first, and they go up 2-0. And in the second, the teams keep sparring back and forth. Lander gets a few more jabs in. And so they get, they, they get seven goals in that quarter to Flagler's four. So it's a 9-4 score at half, and you're thinking, okay, Lander's, Lander looks like they've got this. So they keep going. They keep going like this. Now, there was, uh, I also point out, there was scrappy play on both ends, both teams. These teams did not seem to really like each other during this game. Did you see that? They both wanted it. Yeah, man. They both wanted it. There was, you know. Got a little physical there. It was like, yeah. you know what? It was a good game, Kev. It was a really good game. Yeah, because then in the third, all the momentum was with Flagler. Flagler started chipping. They started chipping back, getting those ground balls, winning a few possessions, boom, throwing them, getting a biscuit in the basket. You know, it was, it started. And they were intense. getting fired up. And I'll tell you what, I would love to have heard what Coach Duncan said at halftime. That's all I want to know. What did he say? They're down 9 yeah. 4. He's probably like, guys. Look at we. I don't know what he. I I only want to pretend to know what he would say, but he got them on the right track because at the end of that quarter it was ten nine. Yeah, they brought it within one. Yeah, the all the momentum was in Flagler's corner at in the third quarter. Man, it was good. Yeah, so that Bearcats they gained the upper hand. They score first goal coming out of the gates to go up eleven nine, and then the and then they close it out. So it was a great. Great game. Here's some key stats for that. Uh, shots. Flagler had 35. Lander had 63, Danny. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that first half. Yeah. You know, that first they, half was they just, were just a shooting match. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Cause turnovers. Uh, Lander had 11 to Flagler's three. I think that helped them out, obviously. Uh, stem the tide of what Flagler did. Um and then ground balls, Lander 46 to Flagler 38. So those were just a little bit of difference. It's funny. You see those, and you would have, you would think that the score would be a lot different. Yeah, well, you know, sometimes the, 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 the numbers don't match 
what the score says sometimes, you know? Well, and, the, and here's here's probably, yeah, look, and then Flagler's goalie, Nate Lair, he had 21 saves, and he was standing on his head. Yeah, he made, yeah, he had a lot of balls fired at him with 61 shots <laughs> on him, you know? So, yeah, yeah, you know what? Flagler's young, you know, and they, they do make young mistakes, and they do look a little young out there. I don't know if you thought that. You know, they do look like a team I, that's not there yet. I will tell you, I, I think we talked about this before. I didn't see it as much in this game, except that they just weren't playing that well on the, in the first half and a little bit in the first half. Once again, I think they like to play up tempo and fast, but when they play up tempo and fast a lot, their brains aren't aren't seeing the game slowly, so that's where they make they're they're moving fast, they're thinking fast, and right. that's when they make mistakes. They've got to kind of control. Be, the game's got to slow down. For, they're young. Give them two years; yeah. those players yep. will be playing that same speed, and the game will be a lot slower in their minds. And that will yeah, be all just, the difference. And just think of all all the NCAA games that those kids will have under their belt because they're not sitting; they're playing. Yeah. You know, they're playing yeah, as freshmen, playing as sophomores, you know, for, for Flagler being a second year program and getting to the Peach Belt championship is amazing in and of itself. Well, right. And but the same thing with Lander. Lander's only four years, four years, you know, just something like that. And their first tournament conference championship, those guys play great. Kyle DiCrespino, two goals, one assist. Nolan Oki, three goals. Crew Conroy, two goals and three assists. I mean, they played a really they're they're a very, very, very good team. They are they compete they are. with, are. with everyone and, and and so it it was it was just a great game. It was great to see, just like in the GLVC, a totally new champion. When you when they won, did you see the fans? Yeah. Came out on the field and started jumping on top of the the, the scrum of the players. You know, Did the you peach see that? belt, the peach <laughs> belt, it's just different. Those squads, those schools have embraced lacrosse big time. Yeah, Kev. they're 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 supporting their teams. Do you know you you watch these? This is the third peach belt conference championship that you and I have been a part of in this podcast, and. Each one of them have been great games with a boatload of people there supporting their squads. It's been great. Yeah. And it was just so cool to see how that enemy was like all hell broke loose when they want yeah. everything's yeah. flying. Fans are on the field. It's mayhem. Cats and dogs living together. What can we say? I tell you. <laughs> Um, all right, we it's got championships, you know, it's got a lot to be happy about. These guys grind all year. Oh, Pat, I know you had a son in D2 and you know what it's like getting up at six and then you got classes and then you got study hall and then you got yeah. film and lifts and then practice. And then, oh, we got to get ready Friday. We got a game. You know, we got to get on the bus for six hours and, you know, it's a grind. And especially, is a grind. and especially when you've got conferences like the CACC, like GLVC, who usually gets a team in, the UNDs in the NCAAs, but even Peach Belt. This tournament is their swan song for the year. And so if they're Absolute, in the finals, yeah. Yeah. there's nothing better, especially when you win. And that's the same thing that happened in the last game we'll talk about in the CACC. 
Georgian court played post in the semis. They won 16-14. So post gave them a run. Post is a really improved team, Kevin. Yeah. Yeah. Then Chestnut Hill beat Wilmington 12-8 in the semi. So it was Georgian court against Chestnut Hill. Chestnut Hill wins 10-9. And they continue to own this conference tournament championship. Yeah, I didn't expect that. I expected a good game, but I thought Georgian Court, you know, was going to pull it out. I just felt that they were a little better. Chestnut Hill played very well. It was a good game. I did too. This was a barn burner of a game, Danny. This And it had split personalities like some of the others. Chestnut Hill owned the first half going up 6-1. And I'll tell you, Georgian Court didn't really help them. I mean, they had a lot of trouble clearing the ball. They had some bad passes. I mean, you got to give some credit to Coach DiCarlo because he had his D dialed up to yep. create some of those turnovers. I mean, we talked to him. He, he yeah. takes pride on his defense, and he uh, you knew he wasn't going to let the same thing that happened when they lost 9-5 to him in regular season. He was going to make it a battle. Yeah, Did you I'm see sure, him on the uh, sidelines? Did you? Uh, I'm sure that yeah. after that, that midseason <laughs> loss to them, that he got on that defense band. You know how he is. He's got that jersey in a man. You know how he is. They, yeah, he was really forcing them just to take perimeter shots. And I think that's kind of a lot of their MO. Just, I mean, Georgian Court anyway. You guys like Dan Burnham. They like to shoot from the outside. Right. But they just couldn't. They could, the, Their defense, Chestnut Hill's defense, did a great job in that first half. But then in the third quarter, it was a totally different story. Talon Smith, Vince Junta, and Dan Burnham, they come alive, and they score six unanswered to take the lead, 7-6 after three. I mean, I, it's like, where did that come from? Yeah, yeah. It was crazy. Yeah. And then, of course, then the fourth, then it just kind of, it was it was just tense. You're trying to figure out who's going to do what. Chestnut Hill scores first in the fourth to tie it, but then Georgian Court, Jordan Court scores the next two to go up 9-7. Then Chestnut Hill ties it at 9. Then no one scores for three minutes. We're at the end of the game, Danny. It's 1.30 left, and Georgian Court's goalie, Vincent Burkhart, makes a good save. But they failed to clear because of a good ride by the Griffins. It wasn't just a bad pass. I mean, it was a, a good defensive ride. Yep. And so so what do they do? Justin Hill brings it down, and Jack Klein scores on the crease or close to the crease with four seconds left to win the game. Insane. Insane. And then you talk about the, the fans uh, of the Peach Belt game. Well, you know, they've got the fence at, at, the, at the stadium there. They, the, the fans are going to come over. The, all the Chestnut Hill players went right to their fans after they won to celebrate with them. Did you see that? It was awesome. No, I didn't see that. That's that was that's so cool. Yeah, that's cool. Is right. That's cool. So, is right. I mean, they immediately did that. They, well, they, they got to their goalie and then they all rushed over their fans and, you know, so crazy game, Georgian court undefeated in the regular season. And like I said, at the beginning, when we talked about this game, chestnut Hill owns the CACC tourney. They've won three years in a row. Yeah. Coach Carlin does a great job there, man. I thought, you know what? I thought it was uh, Georgian Court's year. I really did. I did too. Well, you know, they had Chester a great Hill. season. The regular season yeah, champs. They did. 
They did but have hats a great off season. to Chestnut Hill in, in doing that. That was a phenomenal game. I did not. Th- I thought when we got to this podcast, I'd be saying how the best game I watched for intensity was the Peach Belt Conference. Oh, no. <laughs> it's the last one, the CACC. <laughs> it was a barn burner. It was great. Kay Johnson, uh, three goals, one assist. Will Duddy, three goals for Chestnut Hill. They played great, and it was just a great game. You know what, Kev? When people think about D2, they're thinking about the NE10. They think about the SAC, you know, with the big squads and the big, and they don't realize that these conferences, that these teams play great. They're well above 500. Yeah. They play, they play great schedules. I mean, Coach Hover puts a crazy Killer. schedule together every year. And you know what? When you go to the CACC, if you're in any of those schools, Guys, you're going to play tough squads. You're going to play high-end lacrosse. And and you you know what? You go to Chestnut Hill or Georgian Court or any of those schools, you have a chance of winning a conference tournament every year. Yeah. And we don't talk, you know, I think a lot of people don't think about those conferences, the CACCs and maybe the ECCs. You know, a couple of years ago, the ECC was big. Right. You know, now now it's kind of not the same anymore. But you're seeing like the Peach Belt growing and the CACC getting better and better. It's just D2 is just growing like crazy. Kevin. And and we talked about this when we did the previews. We've talked about it several times. There's a bunch of teams that haven't done much in the past. They're starting to knock on the door. We've talked about Post and Malloy a lot. They're doing that. You, Wilmington's not going away in the CACC. You look at the the Peach Belt, every team in that conference is good and so a lot of improvement in division two teams a lot of improvement you know just like you know what coach jez and coach dunn are doing at malloy and post just amazing what they've been able to do right in a real short amount of time so right and then you look at the peach belt landers in in the alabama huntsville's even the flagler's flag i'm telling you flagler's going to be a team to watch out for very then soon. Just then look at and then look at GLVC. Look who was in the final, Rockhurst and Lewis. And we didn't even think they were going to be there. So name all team. Quincy, even Quincy in the GLVC had a better season this year. Davenport had some good wins. It is going to get tougher Lake and tougher. Erie. Lake Erie even improved and played some tough teams real tough this year. Right. So you know the, 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 I think the entire division two is elevating themselves. Yeah. Yeah, the level of play among the mid the mid range guy. I guess what we would call the mid range because they're not in the upper ten or the upper twenty. They're playing quality lacrosse. You know, like Saint Leo didn't get ranked this year, but they were you know getting votes. But they had a great year. Yeah, and they play tough teams. They have to play Tampa. They have to play Rollins and Florida Southern and Florida Tech, and you know. So all these mid-level schools are just, everybody's improving. The, the, the entire Division Two is just improving as a division. It's just getting better and better each year, Kevin. More parity and more parity. Okay, let's move on to our coach's spotlight. We are definitely changing it up because we don't even have a coach for this spotlight. You know, Danny, every time NCAA selection time comes around, which starts really with the NCA rankings a few weeks before you and I get a lot of questions from listeners about, 
you know, what do we think? How do they decide this thing? What do you think? Is my team going to get in? And and to be honest, I usually have more questions than I have answers. Like I'm not, (laughs) not, not smart at all. So thought, why don't we bring on an expert? And so tonight we have a a member of the selection committee to help us unravel this mystery. And maybe in future years, we'll look a lot smarter. (laughs) That's great. (laughs) So why don't we welcome him in Dan Mara, not owner of the New York giants, but commissioner of the CACC and part of the NCAA D2 selection committee. Hey, welcome Dan. How are you? I am great, sir. Thank you for having me. Looking forward Hi, Dan. To thank you. Thank you so much for coming on in the crease with us, two knuckleheads, uh, with the podcast that's just yeah. strictly about Division Two. And as you know, it's been the selection week this week. And uh, like Kevin kind of said prior, a lot of people are asking questions. They don't understand how things get done, and they mm-hmm. they DM us and they question us. And and like Kevin said, we we don't have all the answers. So. <laughs> That's why we are so happy to have you on tonight. Yeah, so Dan, let's just start with that. Walk us through the process. I don't even know. Do you do the rankings to the few weeks before? When do you start getting together with the committee? When do you start talking? What's the criteria and in your selection process? Just walk us through the whole process of how you do it. Yeah, well, just to separate. I mean, there's polls that come out that have absolutely oh, yeah. nothing, that have nothing to do with what we do. Right. Those, those are pretty much based strictly on one loss record, past reputation, et cetera. Uh, but the, the actual rankings that you, that come out from the NCAA are, are done by the regional advisory committees. Okay. Division two lacrosse is divided into two regions. There's the North and the South. And because of the strange configuration of D2 lacrosse, Colorado Mesa, Colorado Pueblo, et cetera, are in the South, even though most people with a sense of geography would tell you that's not really accurate, but in terms of trying to balance, <laughs> balance the divisions, right? That, that's how we've come up with that. And the racks are the regional advisory committees are made up of eight people each. And that is then made up of two people from each conference. Okay. In the, in the North, we have, we have uh, the CACC, the ECC, the NE10 and the GMAC. And from each each conference in the north has an administrator and a coach on the committee. That's that's the mandated breakdown. Okay. Administrator and coach, and those groups meet. Uh, the first the practice ranking, which was not publicized at all, was on April tenth, and that was we looked at all the numbers, which I'll get into in a minute. We looked at all that to come up with what we thought thought would be was accurate. Um, that then. The North Rack and the South Rack submit their recommendations to the National Committee, which is made up of two people from each of the racks. I'm on the National Committee, as is Rachel Burleson, who's the um, AD at Franklin Pierce from the North. Okay. And then Chris Barrett is also is also on the uh, uh, the South, the National Committee from the South. And then we we review it for consistency, for accuracy. And then, and sometimes changes are made. Sometimes what the what the RAC says says does not get through the national committee, uh, and so it can be changed. Um, rarely, but it does happen. Um, and then, the uh, first ranking that comes out is alphabetical. Yep. 
So you know who's in consideration, but you don't know where they stand. And then, right. and then there's two um, numerical rankings that come out. And then the fourth, each on, on that Wednesday, which this is an important point. They take in consideration games played up till Sunday. So on, on Sunday, the, the games freeze. The right. data is then submitted by the NCAA to this computer program that we all have access to. And Monday, 10 a.m., that's when we start to look at the numbers and see see who's done what. Um, and then that then goes, uh, like it, for our rack, we have everybody submit their own rankings, tentative rankings, and then we review those on, on Monday night. And then 11 a.m. on Tuesday, we have our call come up with our rankings. Then the national call is at 1 a.m. or 1 p.m. on Wednesday. And that's that's then you see something come out Wednesday right. afternoon. That's right. Okay, cool. And then that fourth ranking that you see, that's the the actual the six teams that are selected in each region. So that, that's Interesting. We go from a practice to an alphabetical to numerical and then to the, the actual seating. Interesting. And so then, then in terms of what we you want to know what yeah. we look at, right? Yes. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I think I think most people look at one loss record. And that certainly is, is a criteria. We look at overall one loss record and in region one loss record because you're competing for a regional tournament. So regional one loss record is certainly very important. Um, we look at strength of schedule, which often can be correlated with one loss record. Sometimes a team will have a very good one loss record, but a strength of schedule that is not quite that good. Right. Then there are two other equations which i could not begin to tell you how they are formulated the rpi and the pi which take into consideration who you played what their record is did you play them home did you play them away but goals goals are never taken into consideration like margin of victory etc that, that's not part of it you either win or you lose. Uh, okay but then rpi and pi are are two other data points that we look at um there is a number of columns and sometimes people who have access to the charts that we get We'll count the columns and say, well, this team should be ahead of this team because it's seven to three in columns. They've got better numbers. But strength of schedule is in so many of those columns that that's not really a fair indicator that you'll often see. Like the any 10 teams have very good strength of schedule because, you know, they get to play each other and they're they're winning teams. Um, So sometimes your one loss record might not be quite as good because, you know, you're, you're playing potentially national contenders every week right 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 okay makes sense so so it's it's an equation that needs to be looked at and then often the numbers are so close particularly as we get later in the year where there's been a lot of interplay uh and you know one team's got a better record the other team has a better strength schedule one team has a this record against the top 10 another team has this record and you come on and say man that's really close i don't know how do we decide often that just goes down to head to head. Have they played each other, or you know, yeah. what's their record? What's their record against common opponents? Which is also, which is not really as effective as as a head to head, but it is it is something because often you're just looking for something. How can you how can you differentiate between these teams that their body of work is is so is so similar? And one more point I just want to make. I know I've been going on for a while, actually. So I just want to. No, it's no, great. Go ahead. This is no, great. Go ahead, please, please. Well, you know, when we're putting our rankings in, we're not saying 
that the team we ranked number four, if they played the number five team, that they would beat them tomorrow. That's not what we're not trying to, we're not trying to prophesize what would happen. We're not handicapping the games. We're saying that up till now, up to this point in time, when the data is frozen, this team has a better body of work than this team. That's all that the ranking is saying. It's not saying that, that team A would be team B. It's just saying that with all the data that we have, when we crunch the numbers, look at the common opponents, look at head to head, this team is here and that team is there. And that's how we come up. So Very interesting. It's, it's got a lot of numbers. It's, it's a lot of math. It's almost all math actually. Um, right. And, you know, the eye test is not allowed. You know, we, a lot of times a new rack member will come on and say, well, I saw team a play and they look really good to me. Or I saw team B play and boy, they don't look that good. They that's won, how, but they don't look that good. That's how Danny and I do it all the time. Right. Well, yeah, that's, <laughs> that's how we all, that's how we all do it in our yeah. just day-to-day lives. But, <laughs> but when you're on a rack, that's, not, that's not, yeah. that's not, it. you know, we can't say that. I it's saw that part of the criteria, right? Really right. good. You know, it's, has nothing to do with it. You know, like early on, we had people say, well, I, I put that team in my rankings because they were in the top 20 nationally. I saw them. So I thought we had to rank them. There's no no correlation. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So. so let me ask you this, Dan, and because I you said it's a lot of math and, and that's where Danny and I fail and, and we got to go back to the eye test. But <laughs> I think one of the things that's really interesting, if you look at the South region, let's just start with Limestone and Wingate. Mm-hmm. You know, they had head to head. They both beat each other once. Not even looking at the the score, you know, they both beat Lenore Ryan once. You know, how, how does that then become? I guess that's a question now. Limestone up number two and Wingate number three. Is that is that ever come down to like a a just a a selection committee vote, or is it is it really still the numbers the way it comes out? Do you know what I'm you know what I'm asking? Well, the answer is both. The committee votes based on the numbers. Okay. You know. Okay. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean when. If, when you see a ranking come out from a committee, it doesn't mean that everybody agreed that this team is here and that team is there. I mean, it's not like the jury system, you know, where everybody has to say, I mean, you could, you could have difference of opinion. We've had situations where uh, fortunately not for this last, for the, the seatings, but we had situations where we had five, three votes on this team's two and this team's three. So, I mean, there's, there's differences wow. of opinion, you know, and, wow. but, but our concern is just, we want to be consistent. We don't want one week to say this team is here because their strength of schedule is so good. And then the next week say, well, no, this team's here because their one loss record is so good. We want to, we want to be certain that we're looking at everything equally, you know? And, um, right. So then is the, are there, Dan, I think what there, happened at the end, of, I'm not, I'm not on the Southern rack. So I was not in on the, their regional discussions. Um, but I think when the committee was looking at it, uh, Wingate had the first win. So, right. so that gave the, so when they were comparing numbers, then that gave them that head to head that can be important in, in comparisons. Then limestone beats Wingate. That then negates that head to head. It's not that okay. that win is it's not that that win is more important because you know, it was later in the year. Although some right. people may look at it that way, that's but that but in, the way we look at it, that's not true. Okay. Um, so now, so now that 
that Wingate advantage of having the head-to-head is away is taken away because Limestone came comes in with that W. Okay. All right. I don't know if that answers any of your questions. But no, it does. It, it's really fascinating. I find this really fascinating. You know, and like like Limestone was a four-loss team, and Wingate was only a two-loss team. Mm-hmm. And Wing, Wingate had beat Lenore, Ryan, Anderson, pretty much yeah. everybody in their conference. So I think that surprised a few Wingate people. I'd, I'd have to say a couple of Wingate people were probably surprised at that. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. Yeah. Well, you know, Limestone's average loss was was RPI four. So that means that when they're losing, they're losing to the best of the best, you know. Uh, yeah. They're, they're, no, they're a good squad. No doubt. Yeah. So, you know. There, there, there can be situations in this type of equation where a a loss to a, a good team helps you more right. than beating an average team. Right. I gotcha. I got gotcha. just because okay. just because all the math about because now all their strength, you know, good team obviously has a good record. So, so their strength of schedule comes with that now, and that then goes into your strength of schedule, and you could even not be playing, and your numbers change because the teams that you played. Right. Okay. Okay. So so like, say you, you played somebody, you take a week off and a team that you beat just plays two games that week and wins them both. Now your strength of schedule is better. So you could actually, people say, well, how can they move? They didn't do anything. Well, they, but the people that they played did things. So, so their record changes. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Their record changes as, as that happens. So So they played teams that then, continue to win and win against good teams. Now their strength of schedule looks better, even though they didn't play. Yes. So then their numbers yes. go up. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, say you're a good team and you're losing your conference tournament early, but you've got other teams and they keep, and they win. And maybe you beat those teams in the regular season. So right. now your, your numbers are getting better. They ah. advance, they, they advance in the RPI. So now your average RPI loss goes up. Win, goes up. <laughs> so okay. that almost answers okay. one of my questions because I was thinking about, you know, the upheaval in the conference tournaments with a lot of the top teams losing the semis, Wingate, Adelphi, and UND. And then you match that in with what I was saying. I mean, that changes a lot of the calcul. I would assume that changed some of the calculations that you're used to seeing, sure. like, pretty drastically or could have even though it was mm-hmm. just one game and then you yeah. add in the whole thing like i was saying and i've said it on this podcast i thought and this goes probably more back to the eye test and win loss and everything you're talking about i said that i thought if colorado mesa ran the table and they did they would have a good chance of getting in but and, and then but then limestone did their thing and won their conference which kind of mm-hmm. would have messed things up a little bit and then and then you Indy, but then you Indy lost their in their semifinals. But yeah. if you look at that, you Indy beat Mercyhurst. Mercyhurst Mercy. goes ahead and wins their conference mm-hmm. tournament. Sure. So that then makes their strength of schedule even better. Is that am I reading that right? Is that kind of you're, part of the you're calculation? Spot on. You're spot on, Kevin. Yes. All right, I'm going to be out on the committee next year, Dan. <laughs> 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 their, their numbers change. Yeah, their yeah. numbers change as as that goes along. So yeah, it's 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 an interest. It's very interesting because, and I mean, we all are sports fans, and we all say, you know, how can how could they do that? You know, this team's got this record, and that team's got that record, but that's not all that we're looking at. 
you know, and it's the eye test isn't allowed. Um, so there's, there's a lot of moving parts before you actually wind up where we wound up with our 12 teams. So, so let me ask you this. I just want to make sure I get this right. Even when you get to the final rankings, which is the selection, yeah. your regional committees are still involved in that. Correct. And then, yeah. they, then, then those number, those teams go up to the national committee. Yeah. What happens? Uh, we had a call Saturday morning, 9 a.m. as a regional advisory committee. And we got together and we looked and we came up with, with our rankings. And if there were games that hadn't been played yet, you know, we say, okay, well, if this happens and then we're going to do this, if that happens, we're going to do this. And then that then goes to the national committee. Uh, and the national committee had a call on Sunday to review it all. And we agree on basically everything. And then we reconvene again at four o'clock because we've got that selection show deadline of seven o'clock. So we reconvene again at four o'clock and discuss what we had discussed at one and what the regional advisory committees had discussed on Saturday. And that's when we finalized the ranking. So it's pretty much hot off the press when it comes out on that selection show. It's amazing. It's really it amazing. It's uh, so, I, so, so it, for oh, the ahead, Colorado Danny. Mesa people, for the Colorado Mesa people who've been wondering, I'm going to have to say that right now, even though, you know, a lot of their games were away, they only had a couple of home games and they were late in the season. I think they had 10 games that were on the road and they went 14 or 16 and two. They had a great record, yep. but I'm saying to myself, I think it's their strength of schedule that's held them back. You know, they had a Lee's McRae on their schedule. They had a Palm Beach Atlantic. And then I'm not so sure that the conference is that strong with Adam State and Colorado State Pueblo. So I think I think being in that conference might hurt them a little bit, huh? Geography is obviously, obviously an issue for them. Yeah. Uh, the RMAC is actually, it's not an official NCAA conference because they don't have six teams. Now they, right. they they play they play lacrosse, but it doesn't actually they're not considered a an NCAA conference for for lacrosse. So they're listed as they're listed as independents then. Well, kind of, but understood. Yeah. You're right. Yeah. I got gotcha. you. Uh, but you know, Colorado Mesa's problem: their record's great, but their strength of schedule was uh, thirty yeah. third maybe. I don't know. I think it, it was below 500. I think it was 0.491 sticks in my mind as Colorado Mesa's overall strength of schedule. You know, nobody who made the postseason had a strength of schedule below 600. Wow. Right. Yep. So, and, so. and that's only one facet, but that's obviously when you add all that stuff up. And I'm not saying you, it's, I don't know how the calculation goes. I'm not adding all the numbers or what, but that's that, that is a big difference between, you know, 649, you know, 491 to 600. Right. Right. And it, uh, you, that's where the committee needs to read and say, okay, yes, they're 15 and two, but their strength of schedule is the 33rd ranked in the, of the 40 teams in the South. Um, right. You know, and that they had eight wins against teams that are 31 or lower in, in the Southern region. You know, right. The, the, the Lee's McCrae's. Yeah. The Lee's McCrae type teams. Right. They opted to play Lee's McCrae and Palm Beach Atlantic. Uh, I think Palm Beach was one and 11 and Lee's was, I think, oh, and 15, uh, which 
you know, probably didn't help them in terms of, they got wins, but it didn't help them strength the schedule. And then right. when they play, I think CSU Pueblo did not have a very good record either this year. So that, and they yeah. had to play them a few times. So, you know, all that, all that goes into the equation. That's why scheduling is a hot button topic with, with a lot of the coaches where they're trying to, you know, figure out how they can get the right teams. And sometimes it's just luck, you know, that a team, you schedule a team, non-conference team, and all of a sudden they go, they go ten and five, and you didn't expect that, and it, but it really helps. Right, and, and, and right. the reverse happens too. You you think you're doing a good job, you go and you know a team that was in consideration last year, and you schedule them, and oops, they they bottom out, and they go you know five and ten, and that now it winds what you thought was going to help you winds up hurting. You. Right, right. That's so that's it's really a, it's it's crapshoot sometimes yeah. with some it of these teams then. And actually, it's funny. We were, last year's record. we were talking with Coach right. Kerwin of Westminster, and he basically said that. He said, actually, there, he goes, it's we schedule before, and when we think we may have a good schedule, and sometimes it comes out better on strength of schedule, and sometimes it doesn't. That's exactly what I was saying. And I, I'll tell you, just personally, I feel for those those teams the arm in the RMAC, especially Westminster sure. and Colorado Mesa, who work their butts off to travel so much and get the get quality teams outside mm-hmm. of their conference to to try to get to that strength of schedule right and really get play good competition so i guess that leads to my one of my final questions is do you foresee automatic qualifier now armac wouldn't qualify until they had six teams in the conference but do you see automatic qualifiers coming down the road cuz i think something like that would help conferences like that who you know are trying so hard to 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 get into the tournament right yeah. and i'm just curious from your perspective do you see that possibly coming down the road it's definitely uh in the discussion yes i mean it's it's a it's a significant consideration uh you know we we have a very small field we have 12 teams you know so right you don't want you don't want all that to be taken in by automatic qualification you want to have the opportunity for good teams that don't necessarily win their conference tournament to get in, but right, yeah. But, uh, right now, the only three sports in Division Two that don't have AQs are football and men's and women's across. Uh, so wow. all, all the other sports do have automatic qualification. Uh, I didn't know that. I didn't know that. And it, it's being discussed at the at the national level. There's a championships committee that oversees all Division Two championships, and it's it's on their agenda. It's been on their agenda, and they're reviewing it as is a potential expansion of the brackets. Well, and that's what I think you would need to do, obviously, right? You'd want to go to like something like 16 teams so you can get some of those quality teams that don't win their, their conference. And I know what that is. That's that comes down to money then and other things that come into consideration. I'm not saying it a a negative, but obviously that comes into the consideration, travel, money, et cetera. Bracket bracket expansion has to be done in conjunction with the NCAA budget cycle. You know, it it needs it needs to be budgeted for. And if say you had two teams or you had four teams, obviously it's going to be an even number or whatever it might be. Then there needs to be funding to take care of that because getting a Colorado Mesa to limestone, that that's going to cost right. somebody a lot of money. Right. Per DMs of seven. Yeah, or so. Sure. Absolutely. A lot of big sales going on out there for that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, it's interesting stuff. It really does. It kind of, brings it all together a little bit so it's based on a lot of strength of schedule who your opponents are who your opponents play who your opponents opponents play 
their records. Yes. All of that gets combined. Yes. Your opponent's opponent's strength of schedule is, 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 figures in. So now, like you said, you need a calculator and a lot of time. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. I mean, and you need to be, you need to be careful that the people you schedule are also trying to schedule strongly so that their strength of schedule doesn't wind up hurting you. Right. Right. Because because like last year, Wilmington had a great year and I'm sure some coaches probably tried to line up Wilmington this year and they didn't do so well this year. So that's the perfect example of that. Yeah. And their, their coach, Christian Zwicker, he, he went out of his way to, he got Tampa to open up, you know, he got mercy. He he went, he got the, the heavy hitters last year. You know, um, but his squad didn't respond the way the, the previous team did. Um, and it, right. It was, it was tough for him. Yeah. Yep. That's, yeah. And then it's the, that's those the other teams that then, then, then schedule Wilmington thinking, okay, here's a quality team and, and they're a quality team, but they didn't have. So every time Wilmington now loses, if you beat Wilmington, your strength of schedule actually goes down because their record isn't right. as good as you thought it would be. RPI drops. So your average RPI win now it gets, Actually, it's higher as it doesn't get lower. <laughs> you want right, it? right, right. <laughs> you know, so it, yeah, it's it's a problem. Yes. Well, so, wow. so it it's very intricate. It's very complex. It's you know, and there's a lot of people involved here. It's mm-hmm. not just one committee. It's several committees sitting together and putting their minds together and, and voting. And wow, it's an interesting process. I didn't realize it was so. Duh, what am I looking for? What's the word I'm looking for? It's complex. Uh, it, it, yeah, yeah. It's very complex. Yes, it is. Yep. So, Dan, let me ask you one last question. How long are you are folks on the different committees? Is it two years, four years? Well, if you're on if you're on the national committee, which also means you're on the rack. Right. That, that's that's a four-year term. Okay. If you're appointed by your conference to be on the rack, which means you're not on the national committee. That's a three-year appointment. Okay. Okay. And then once you're on the rack, you get selected to, how do you get selected to the national committee then? Totally, totally separate process. Uh, there's an, uh, it, that's a national position. So it's, a, it's through an NCAA nominating process. Gotcha. Okay. Whereas All the, right. conference, the conferences have control over who's on their rack, who's, who's their rack representative, as long as one of them's not the national committee person. So like, in my situation, when I went on the rack, this is my third year. When I was on the rack, we had to actually take one of the administrators off who was on it because my appointment by the national committee superseded what we did as a conference. Uh, okay. So, probably wow. clear as mud, but that's. No, that's it, I, I get it. I get it. The big guns came down and said, Dan shall be on the rack. <laughs> yes, that's what they yes. said. Yes. That, that, that's, <laughs> Well, I'll tell you what, we really appreciate you coming on. I'm sure there'll still be some people that are scratching their heads saying why not and whatnot, but I, I couldn't have asked for more. This has been really educational for, for me and it has really helped us out. And I hopefully it'll help out our, our listeners understand the process better. It's, it's just fascinating. And it I is. may actually be uh, sending you emails and asking you questions when people ask me questions next year. Sure. Sure. Maybe I'll have answers. I'll do my best anyway. I mean, <laughs> uh, yes, I, I appreciate you having me on, and hopefully, uh, you know, I 
you're never going to make the real ardent fans happy when you explain no. the process to them. But at least maybe now they'll have they'll know that there was nobody out to get them. That there was there was just a, a hardworking committee that reviewed all the information that they had, and that's what what we came up with to try to best service the student athletes. Well, we couldn't have got a better person to explain it to us, Dan Mara. We really appreciate you coming on the show tonight and explaining this uh, rather sticky situation. Like you said, a lot of parents, a lot of players, maybe even some, you know, other people saying why scratching their heads. But you mm -hmm. really explained it so well. And uh, thank you so much for coming on tonight. We really sure. do appreciate it. No problem. Have, nice meeting you and uh, really appreciate your support of Division Two lacrosse. All right, Dan. Dan. Actually, all right, Danny. It was great having Dan on to talk about really that really was a great education for me, what he talked about and how they do the selection and everything. Kevin, I wanted to get a drink and a cigar and just sit back and listen to him and just absorb everything that that yeah. man was saying. Just, he was great. He explained it phenomenally. Um, just very interesting, very complex. Uh, but I think our listeners are going to have a much better understanding of what goes into it, how intense it is, how many people are actually involved regionally, conference-wise, and then nationally. So there's there was things there tonight that I learned that I didn't know. I'm sure the, the same was for you. Oh, What'd without you a doubt. What'd no, I totally agree with you saying, and I think we... As fans, we get mired in our passion, and we can't see it objectively. And I think what we just need to realize is with these two region committees and with the national committee, they're looking at the numbers. They're doing it dispassionately as best as possible to make sure they get it right and they are consistent. And it's not an easy job. It can't be an easy job. It comes down to votes sometimes, and sometimes... You know, someone's got to lose, unfortunately. You know, hopefully yeah, we get yeah. to AQs and we get a few more teams in there. But once we, even if we went to 16, teams 17 through 20 will be upset. Of course. Yeah. Well, <laughs> definitely, definitely. You know, That's when I they think should of, be in all their fans, I would be the same way. Right. So, so, you know, when, when you let's, let's think about Division One, they have automatic qualifiers and then they have eight at large bids, right? Yep. So, those at-large bids, those teams are usually very, very good with extremely high strength of schedules. But in Division Two, it's all by the numbers. Since we don't have automatic qualifiers, it's all by the numbers, which makes it, I think, different yeah. than Division One or Division oh, Three. Yeah. Yep. You know, I just think it makes it different. I think it's harder to get to where you want to be in division 100%. 2 than in any other divisions and in division 1 or division 3. So if you want to be an elite squad in division 2, you're playing the best of the best against the best of the best, the elite of the elite or trying to anyway. And then you got to hope that when you do that that the teams you play actually stay at the top. That's right. And have you good want records. them to do. You want them to do good, right? Right. So, example: you lose to Mercyhurst, but Mercyhurst just keeps on winning and winning and winning and winning. 
that loss isn't so bad. Right. So, whereas in Division One or Division Three, that loss would hurt you. You know, it would hurt you because you have one one and loss records getting to tournaments, right? Getting to your conference tournament, getting a good seed in your conference tournament with a chance to get to the championship. And by God, by gosh, by golly, you win the championship, you're automatically in. May not be the best team in the conference, correct? Correct. Might not have the best record. So it's different at Division Two with all the numbers, all the algorithms. So these people have to sit, put the numbers in, who played who, who did they play, who did they play, who did that team's 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 team play? What was their record? What was that team's strength to schedule? So it gets deep. It gets complicated. And I think what Dan said, he's like, we're not out to get anybody. I thought that was kind of cool the way he said it. felt it was like, you know, we're not. We're not. We're doing it by the numbers with committees with, you know, there's a number of people that are involved, Kev. It's just not one or two people sitting going, hey, what do you think? It's not right. that it's, it's, and it's smart. It's, a, it's stratified. So if the regions does one thing and the national committee says, you know, if that region said, Oh, X, and that's totally out from the numbers. National committee can change that. They don't change it often because the, the regional committees do their job. Well, yeah, they get it right. They're pretty on point. He said it was rare that it happens, but it happens, but it was rare. So, you know what? Dan's job is not an easy job or any person on that committee or sits on those racks, you know, I don't think any of those jobs are an easy job. I think no. it's intense. It, and it's going to get harder and, for him next year because I'm going to be emailing him a lot when we get to the rankings. <laughs> but you know what, Dan was a great guest and I'm glad he came on. And I hope that our listeners have a better understanding. I think they will. I, I totally agree. So then let's just get into it and what the games are. Now, the first round of playoffs start this Wednesday. Our podcast will not be out when these games are played. But let's run down those. They're all on Wednesday, May 10th. Let's start with the North region. First game that I've got on my list, Bentley plays Adelphi for the third time this year. Yeah, Adelphi's got to travel, though. They're going up to Massachusetts. They are. So they're getting, they're getting on a bus for a couple hours. It's a little yep. bit different when you're when you're the away team, I think, especially in, yeah. in a game as important as this. So then, so then, who you who you thinking? You know, I love Adelphi, man. You know that I love this team all year. Just, I just, you know, I think that that win against Lemoyne, I think they shot their load a little bit at that loss against Lemoyne. You know, they had, it was they'd such an lost intense to Bentley game. One, they lost Bentley the week or the game before. Then they lose to Lemoyne, and, they lost them, and, and then they I lost again. The so I think, you know, Bentley had their number. Bentley just knew how to play them. I, I will tell you, I can't see Adelphi losing three times to Bentley. I can't. I, I got to pick Adelphi. Not, neither, neither can I. I can't see Adelphi. And Coach Purdy and Cat and all those guys, they're good coaches. They got great players. You know, Dylan Renner in goal. And he, you know, he's been playing great all year. And then, you know, Brian Horder at the X and just, you know, they're deep at the midfield. They got a great attack unit. They have a great defense. They have just a right. solid squad. But I I'll just, tell you what, yeah. Uh, no, I, I totally agree with you, but we have to give our hats off to Bentley. 
Pops. Coach yeah, Murphy, the coach there since 1993. They've won several NE10 championships. They've been in the, the finals many more times. This is their first time going to the dance. Congratulations. That's coach just Murphy. awesome. And, and like we said earlier, uh, when we were talking about the any 10 championship, they deserve to be in this tournament hands down. Oh, they, yeah, they do. They have a hell of a schedule, Kevin. They have a hell of a schedule, man. You know, they're so playing that, the top, top dog. So I, I like a Delphi. I think it's going to be a close game though. I, I do. Oh, it'll be close. It'll be close. Okay. The next game. This one is on an earlier time. It's at 12 noon. It's Mercy playing St. Anselm. Both lost to LeMoyne and Adelphi. So if you're trying to see, like, see who, you know, may have the advantage. I'll tell you, though, Danny. I think Tommy Umanu may be the difference in this game. And I have to not give the give the nod to Mercy. You know, I, I'd have to agree with you in this one. I think St. A's is a very good team. I just don't think they're as good as Mercy. That's just my opinion. I think Mercy's a better team. I think they're a little deeper. I love their attack unit. Love the midfielders. Defense with Justin Girdville back there and Tommy Amato. They're going to be tough. I, You know, Mercy's been a tough team all year. Totally Very agree. talented. Very talented. And and just, you know, they they've been there. They've been there. They got veterans there that've been there. Yeah. So I, I like Mercy in that game. Okay, so let's move to the South region. The South region, man. It it, it is going to be crazy. Wide open. Wide open. Wide open. Tampa plays Lenore Ryan. Tampa beat Lenore Ryan in February, thirteen to nine. But that was February. Pick them. It's a pick them game. And look at the matchup with the goalies with Ulmer and Pensabeni. Pensabeni's been playing lights out. Yeah. Lenore Ryan's got to travel to Tampa. It's been like 92 degrees down there. It's going to be hot. It's going to be not steamy. Hickory. It's not hickory. So I think uh, this is a pick em. I agree. This is a pick em game. I, you know what? It's a pick em game. I think it's that close. Um, I think Tampa at home pulls it out. I think what you just said is because they're at home. Now they lost at home to Florida Southern, but they haven't lost at home since 2019 before that. Yep. They're tough. And I don't they're think they're going to, I don't think they're going to lose. I, I think it's going to be once again, a very close game. That's a game I want to watch, man. Yeah. I, yeah. That's going to be the just the that, matchups. That's, you know, that's on at the with, same time that Wingate U Indies on. The 4 p.m. <laughs> <laughs> I have my command central, but I also have to work. Yeah. So I don't know what I'm going to do. Oh, All right, boy. So Wingate, you Indy Wingate beat you Indy in late April, 14 to nine. You Indy beat Mercyhurst to Wingate lost to, but that was an early loss for Wingate. What's their second game. They're playing at Wingate. Yeah. Wingate gets, gets the three seed in the South. I think a couple of Wingate people might not be happy with that seeding. Yeah. With limestone, you know, I don't know, for a four team, you know, four loss team as opposed to a two loss team. And, ah, you know, the, the two wins against each other negate anything. So right. I think, you know, a couple of Wingate people might be right about 
where they are, but it is what it is. They're at the three and they get to host you, Indy, which they did just three weeks ago. Right. And uh, they took care of business then. They took care of business, didn't they? And you, Indy, lost. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I, I like Wingate at home. I like Wingate at home too, but I'll tell you what. I saw them when they played in the semifinals of the SAC tournament. They didn't look like the same team either. They, not that they weren't focused, but they've got to come with that fire in their bellies like they did when they played UND, Lenore Ryan, and Limestone in the regular season. If they do that, they'll win hands down. Yeah. I mean, Limestone played very well in the semis against Wingate. Wingate did a lot of uncharacteristic things in that game. So I just think they, you know, caught Wingate on a bad day. And it happens, Kev. Oh, yeah. Teams, teams have bad days, you know. A long so, season. A long yeah, season. Yeah. It's a grind, focused. man. Yeah. It's a grind. Yep. And you know what? And when you're an elite team and you're in the top three, top four, top five, that means everybody's bringing their A game against you. So to keep that level, you know, and Wingate's got a nice, you know, mix of younger players and veterans. So how do you keep the younger players up and how do you keep the veteran players, right? You know, it's a grind. It's a hard yeah. thing to do to keep that level of intensity throughout the year. Oh, yeah. So yeah. I think, you know, I think Limestone is a great team, a great team. Ball players on both sides of the, you know, they're well coached. They're They're good. So... I think Wingate should have got that too. That's just my opinion. That's just well, my opinion. All I'm okay. going to point out, Danny, is you weren't on the committee. So That's your vote right. doesn't count. Okay. You're right. All right. So let's talk about that. Let's talk about the quarterfinals in the South region first. The Wingate UND winner does play Limestone on Sunday, May 14th. At Limestone. At Limestone, and the winner of the Tampa Lenore Ryan game plays Rollins at Rollins. So that's the matchup there. I don't even want to attempt to say who's going to win that because I don't know what the matchups are. I can't. We have to wait and see that. I can't. Yeah. Then the North North Region quarterfinals, whoever wins Bentley or Delphi has to go to Lemoyne and play them. Another any 10 matchup there. And then Mercyhurst plays the Mercy St. Anselm winner. Those, all of those games are going to be really, really good games in the, in the quarterfinals. Kevin, I think the committee got it right. I think the best teams are there. The top 12 teams, I think, that belong there are there. You know, I think some of the Colorado Mesa people might not think that, but maybe they'll understand after tonight's podcast. Well, and I tell you, until I talked with Dan, on this podcast, I, in my mind, I could see it go back and forth between you and in Colorado Mesa. Now that we went through that and he discussed that with him, I can definitely see why you Indy was in and Colorado Mesa was out. Much tougher strength of schedule. Yeah. Much tougher strength of schedule. And you know what? When you Indy lost to Wingate, didn't hurt him. Wingate was ranked number three in the country. It, right. it doesn't hurt them. You know what I mean? Right. So it only, so losing to a good team like that is not hurting them too much because their RPI is so strong. Yep. So it's very interesting how it's, how it's all played out. Right. Kev? It's going to be a wild ride. I tell you in this NCAA tournament, it's going to be a wild ride. I can't wait. 
But I remember last year that we were kind of wondering what was going to happen. Florida Southern people were pissed because they didn't get in. And, yeah. you know, so I think now, I think now with Dan Mara coming on and explaining to how it, how it operates and how it, how it works and the process, hopefully people understand. Now they're going to be pushing for AQs. You know that. That's, that <laughs> I hope they we do. We need AQs, man. We need AQs. I What's hope they the problem? do. Why can't uh, we get this? Why can't we get that? So I think we're headed there, though. I do. I agree. I agree. That's why I asked him that question. All right. It is time for the player spotlight. My favorite part, Kev. My favorite part. You bet. To say this player is the workhorse for his team is an understatement. He's a beast. He not, yeah, he not only is his team's primary face-off specialist at a 55% average, I might add, which... Close to 56. Let's give him, ain't, let's ain't, give him the ain't, extra. Ain't shabby. I don't know, my damn math near, must have been near close to 60. Let's <laughs> yeah. call it close to 60%. <laughs> yeah. But besides that, he likes to stay on and, and play D-Midi all the time, too. So talk about needing endurance. Dan, I, I'm in ice baths just watching him play. Yeah, yeah, me too. <laughs> so why don't we just welcome him in? Brian Horder, face-off specialist, Dean Mitty, and anything else the team asks of him from the Delphi Panthers. Hey, how are you doing there, Brian? Good. How are you guys doing tonight? Happy to be Got the crowd. Got the crowd rooting for you. <laughs> Brian Horder from Adelphi, man. Thanks so much for coming on the show tonight. We really appreciate you taking the time. It's finals week. You're in, you're a graduate student. You're about to get that master's. I'm glad you took the next 10 minutes to just, you know, take a breather and, and talk with us two knuckleheads. We appreciate it. <laughs> Thanks for having me, fellas. Pleasure to be on. Long time listener, first time caller now. <laughs> oh, there we go. There we go. Love it. Love it. Hey, when I talked to Coach Purdy uh, for our any 10 conference preview, I gave him a call and he effused praise on you. <laughs> he even said you stepped up to take on the face-off duties. So is that true? Were you not a face-off specialist? And you're like, oh, yeah, I'll do it for you, Coach. So it's been it's been a long road of going back and forth from face-off guy to not face-off guy. So back when I was at New York Tech, my freshman year, I played Ole Mitty for about three weeks after uh, – that clearly wasn't the path. Switched me to D-Midi. Sophomore year, played defense again, faced off kind of like where I was at in the role here. Junior year at Tech, played offensive midi, faced off. Took the year off senior year when uh, when Tech shut down. And since I got here, pretty much doing a lot of the same thing. So wherever wherever they need me, throw me up. It's awesome. So let's talk about that with New York Tech. What was that like having to go through that? Probably real disappointment when New York Tech shut down their program and then what was it like then and then being able to come to Adelphi? Yeah, so when when we got the news broke to us, it was it was kind of shattering. So I was going into my senior year, we ended up hearing pretty much the same time the general public heard. So we kind of all got left scrambling. Bunch of my buddies straight away, they kind of started going different spots. Thankfully, they ended up honoring our scholarship. So I was a senior. I was like, it's going to be more of a headache to deal with these transfer credits than anything. So I ended up duking it out senior year, just being a student, doing just student things. So it was nice to get a little bit of a load off my back. But during right. that time, obviously, talked to Coach Volpe and Coach Purdy. Got the itch immediately after after about two weeks of not playing lacrosse. And, <laughs> and I can honestly say it was probably one of the best decisions I've ever made. 
That's amazing. I, I swear, Danny, when he says he's has the itch, he must have had the itch because he plays two damn positions on the field, you know? Yeah, yeah. And you know what? To go from one really, really good program to another really, really good program, that I, I'm sure the coaches welcomed you with open arms. Yeah, for sure. The best company around here. I mean, these past two years, I can honestly say these are some of the best friends I've made in my entire life. Everybody's an absolute riot on last year's team and this year's team. That's yeah, it well, seems like it seems like an Adelphi is a tight knit group. You know, it seems like, you know, in the alumni, because I go to the games. I was at the Lemoyne game a couple of weeks ago. I see how the alumni come. They, they pack that place, man. It's a it's a really good feeling. It must be a great feeling to see a packed house every time you play. huh? For sure. Especially those night games. Once you get uh, once you get those stands packed out, you know, you know, you always have the alumni, like you guys said, but it's it's electric. I mean, absolutely amazing field facilities are awesome and getting out to yeah. go. All whites under the lights. Can't beat that. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I have to point out. So you came over last year. Coach also told me w- when we were talking on the phone that you were voted best player on the team by your teammates last year. So what was that like coming in? You know, you're only one year and your teammates say point right to you and say, Brian, you're you're the man. It was honestly true honor because you guys know last year's team had in a ton of talent oh yeah and for them to turn around and say that i was i was essentially the the keystone to the bridge meant the world i mean it's it's one thing when it's voted on by the coaches but when you when you have your own guys that you're going into the trenches in every day they're yep. turning around and saying that you're a big part of this it means a lot and you kind of have to wear it with pride to be completely honest kind of means more than the coaches if yeah. you ask me you know yeah, like I said, that that Adelphi group is tight, man. I see you guys. I see you guys on the sideline. I see you guys the way you interact. You know, and even when things are bad, I just see how how you guys just like really support each other. It's a really really good program to be in. Yeah, because I mean, we have it, you have your decent amount of commuters, and then you guys know most of most of us are from Long Island, but we have the guys from out of state come. Everybody's. Everybody's pretty close to each other, so it's it's pretty seamless to to come together and really get tight as a group. That's pretty awesome. Now, by the time this podcast comes out, you have played Bentley for the third time. And talk about needing a tight knit group to try to turn that around. What's the feeling in the locker room with that? Locker room feeling is good right now. So um, obviously, it's been a little bit of a hiccup for the past two weeks, but everybody's t- as tight as could be. We know we know what we can do. We know that we're a good team out here and we stumbled the past couple of weeks where it's time to pick up the pieces and kind of get back to work here. That's, that's basically the motive out here. Practices have been work days, kind of just trying to get the bad taste out of, out of our mouth and, and get back to work and hopefully get back on track on Wednesday. You know what, Brian, you know what it seems to me like you guys played so well against Lemoyne. That was such a really, really good game. Both teams, the defenses on both sides were just, it was an amazing game. I, I, I was telling everybody, and and I mentioned it on the podcast, I felt like I was watching the D1 playoff game. The IQ was crazy on the field, the amount of athletes and just what they could do on both sides. And I was wondering, maybe do you think that that game took a little bit of steam out of you for the following week coming to play Bentley? Yeah, being here, especially last year when I got on, the big talk of the campus is it's always Panthers, Dolphins at the end of the year. It, it right. all crescendos to the end. Obviously, it's going to take a lot out of you. But I 
I think we kind of just got caught last week during the any tens, but it definitely, definitely is a big week when we play Lemoyne here. So it takes, it takes full effort, full energy, full everything. So well, maybe, well, yeah, there, maybe we got caught, caught Bentley played a hell of a game. That's but what I was going to say. I mean, Bentley came both times against you guys. They came with a great game plan and they played their games to perfection against you, to be honest. Mm-hmm. And and so nothing against them. I mean, I think they really came out and it was they those were great games too. It's just it just seems like I, I didn't see that's what I say. I didn't see a lot of mistakes. There wasn't. On your side, on the Delphi side, I just think that you know the mistakes that were happening were being forced by Bentley's good defensive play. Yeah, for sure. And it was that Wednesday night. It was also just a complete goalie show showdown. We had Dylan Renner 18. Yeah. yeah. Met and the Bentley goalie was on fire also. Yeah. So sometimes, sometimes you run to a little pitcher's duel and that, that's what happened. So. Yeah. Yep. Uh, all right. So now I've got to ask you, cause you're playing two positions. Is there a position that you like better? I'm going to be honest. I do like playing D many more. I was going to guess that was probably just by your demeanor. I'm like, this guy likes to hit people. That's all I'm going to say. We're going to neck on him. Look at the neck on him. Are you kidding me? The battle versus collared shirts is a serious thing. I think we might be- <laughs> uh, uh, that top button is screaming, and there's never. <laughs> Uh, I thought you did that uh, on purpose for your, your profile picture in the, uh, in the, on the roster there. No, every every time I take a <laughs> roster picture, I look at it and I'm like, what the hell was I doing? <laughs> you look like a detective. I'm looking at it right <laughs> now. Right. You look like a detective. Detective Hoarder, homicide. <laughs> oh my God. No, that's funny. Yeah. But dude, you've been balling out even last year, you know, North Region, third team, you know, all all any 10. I mean, you're just balling out and you're having a great season again. And now you got to face Bentley again. Yep. Little chip on that shoulder, maybe in in the Panther uh, locker room. Little chip, some could say. The, uh, everything's coming full circle right now. I mean, if you follow this last year, same thing that's happening with us and Bentley last year, having to play him three times. We had to play Lemoyne three times. So yeah, and now the any ten basically rolls out. If if you're in that tournament, there's a good chance of playing a team three times in a year. Right. Right. Yeah. All right, now, Mr. Hoarder, you can hit guys and you can win a lot of face-offs, but now you have to go against the master with questions. Are you ready? As ready as I'll ever be. Come on now. <laughs> All right, Brian Hoarder from Adelphi. Face-off guy, short stick mini, pulling double duty over there at the Panthers in, in Long Island. Floral Park High School, is that correct? Wrong. I'm not now already. New Hyde Park High School. Oh, New Hyde Park High School. Now, you know what? Just stick a foot in my mouth. <laughs> I apologize. <laughs> they hate each other, those two schools. Okay. So that's even better. <laughs> Brian Horder, thank you so much for coming. Here we go. A couple of questions. Just give us your best answers. All right. We'll do. Mom's best meal. Ooh. I'm going to have to go chicken college, preferably Sunday morning, fresh out of the, uh, Fresh out of the oil. Chicken cutlets on Sunday morning breakfast? Sunday morning. I I work out <laughs> in Long Beach Saturday night. So that I wouldn't say Sunday morning. Usually, usually Sunday afternoon. Okay. All right. <laughs> um, PlayStation or Xbox? Xbox. No question. 
runs or lifts? Like I got to ask this question. Yeah. Come on, <laughs> Danny. He almost oh, wait before you go on. He almost seems disgusted with the questions. Like, come on, man. I know, like, <laughs> come on, man. That's all you got, right? Bring oh, it, Dan the man. All right, favorite TV show. Ooh. I'm gonna go. How I Met Your Mother. Oh, I that's a that's good a, one. I like it. Yeah. It's a pretty good show, actually. <laughs> favorite cartoon as a kid. I know this is a common answer. This is a chalk answer. I'm going SpongeBob. I don't want SpongeBob. Pineapple. I think it's just the generation. It's just that time. I mean, it was. Yeah. Favorite professional football team. New York Giants. Dan quarterback. Big Blue. (laughs) Uh, Who's your favorite football player? All time. All time. The throwback hard here. I'm gonna say Jeremy Shockey. Hey, that's Ooh. a good one. Tight end from Miami. Yeah, man. Hurricane, former Kane. I don't know if he can spell Miami, but he was a good player. <laughs> <laughs> um, favorite kind of music that you like to listen to, Brian? Kind of bounce around with everything. If you looked at my playlist, it just jumps back and forth. I'll say I've been on a Morgan Wall on kick, so I'll say, uh, I'll say country. Uh, you know what? You're about the fourth person in a row that said that. And uh, what was the last song you listened to? Ooh, this, is a, this is a shout out to my buddy from NYIT, Matt Arnone, Whiskey Glasses by Morgan Wallen. All right. Shout out to Matt. All right. Uh, if you could play a musical instrument, what would it be and why? All right. Two, two parts to this. I played trumpet when I was in high school. Horrible. Right. So put that on the record. But if I was good at guitar, I think I'd be the most popular man on earth. Okay, cool. <laughs> cool. I love it. I love it. Favorite class since you've been out of Delphi? I'm going to say most I've learned probably applied machine learning with Professor Juan, the man. And what's that about? A whole lot of coding, staring at a computer a lot, a lot of hard work, but probably learned the most in a class that I've ever learned. In college. And, and who and who is the professor? Professor Juan Jaramillo, the man behind oh. the keyboard. He's the man, huh? <laughs> the man All right. Behind the keyboard. Got to get tell professor, man. He's on the he's on the podcast. <laughs> okay, here's all request tonight. Oh, <laughs> here's the next one. Who's the funniest guy on the team? I'm gonna say Magic Mike McGovern. He's in charge of uh, two calls during the games. He's an absolute riot. I don't know. I don't even know if he's trying to be, but he's the man. <laughs> all right, Mikey gets a shout out in your life. What's been your best lacrosse memory? I'd have to go with last year's any 10 championship, either that or when I was a freshman from the ECC championship at New York tech, but I'd probably say last year's any 10 championship. Cause I was definitely playing more last year and it was incredible in the rain. Yeah. Can't beat it. Yeah. That's awesome. Okay. Last but not least, give us your best impression of coach. <laughs> <laughs> McGovern had a great one, right? He did a really <laughs> yeah, he good did. possession uh, uh, imitation of him last year. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm actually looking at him through the window right now, so this should be good. Um, <laughs> I'm actually this is a Dave Sanzone number forty one on the team impersonation of Coach Purdy, actually. So when we're in the back of the bus, we give Dave Sanzone open mic. He just cracks everybody else up. But first, you got to check if Coach Purdy can hear you. So he. <laughs> he up, gets on the mic, Coach Purdy. Can you hear me, Coach Purdy? Can you hear me? <laughs> Dave Senzo gets a shout out. 
I actually I know that. I actually know Dave's mom. I met his mom a couple of months ago, maybe about a year ago. She's really nice and uh found out that, you know, our boys played D2 lacrosse and we, you know, kind of hit it off talking and she's told me her son was out of Delphi and that he plays. He's a pretty good player. He's got some nice size, man. He, yeah, great player out of Nassau. Stereotypical yeah. Nassau guy, hardest worker in most rooms he walks into and he's He's an absolute riot. One of the first people I ran into on campus and knew I had a good friend coming in. All right. Cool, man. Well, Brian, you did great on the, sh- on the firing round. You were awesome tonight. We really appreciate it. What a great kid you are, man. I had a lot of fun with you tonight. You seem like a, seem like a fun guy. Long Beach, you go out to Long Beach on the, on the weekends that we have. I work out there, so I don't know if it's by choice, but yeah, I am out there. <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right. Sounds good. Danny, I've never seen a player come on to the player spotlight, guns a blazing, like Brian Horder. <laughs> a good kid, huh? He's a happy, happy, happy kid. Just, just a really good kid. He looked like he was having the time of his life. He was enjoying the hell out of it, wasn't he? He may just take over the podcast. We we're out. He'd be great at, at, at running a podcast. He definitely has the personality. He's a really good player, Kev, on a really, really good team that's really well coached. And that has a chance at a national championship. I love Adelphi. I think they're a really good squad. You know, I remember always questioning Adelphi. Why are they at four? They haven't played anybody. <laughs> Why are they at three? They only had four games. Like, I don't yeah. get it. Yeah. And now I get it. I get it. You know, just they're a good squad, well-coached, deep, um, high IQ team. Just, you know, everybody on that team can play. They all know the game very well. Some of them kids probably don't even need to be coached. That's how good they are. Yeah. So Brian was great. I, I was so happy he came on. He looks like a good kid. He's having fun. He's got his master's in a couple of weeks. So good for him, huh? Exactly. Exactly. It was great to have him on before he graduated. But yeah. now it's time to move on to shout outs. Do you have any, Danny? I have no shout outs. I've got two. You ready? Yeah. Here's yeah. my first. I've been seeing a lot of pics on Instagram from the teams who made it to the dance. As they should. They should post, you know, we're, we're in, ticket punched. But the pics I like even better are the ones in caps and gowns. So a shout out to all the graduates and players out there who worked hard on the field and in the classroom to earn their degrees. Well said, Kevin. And here's my last shout out. As you know, Danny, we recently hit over 25,000 downloads for our podcast. So shout out to all of our listeners and all the people who've come on this podcast to provide the content and my partner in crime for going on this crazy ride with me. Oh, Kevin, this has been great. 25,000. When we got one, I was like, really? <laughs> you know, Hey, it's been a great run. It's been fun. It's been interesting. And we have a sponsor, you know, sp- score break. Check them out. Sponsoring us. And, you know, definitely check them out. And, and just, it's been a great ride. It hasn't been a wild ride. It's been a fun ride. It's been it a lot of fun. My prolific producing podcast partner, Kevin <laughs> Stenstrom. <laughs> and with that, that's a wrap. That's a wrap. <laughs>